Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Philips has announced its 2021 TV lineup following hot on the heels of Samsung, LG and others embracing the new mini LED technology. But what does that mean for consumers? How does it compare to OLED? And are the new sets worth even looking at in the first place? Pocketlint's Rick Henderson was at the virtual reveal this week and joins us to tell us more. Meanwhile, I've been talking to New Tigers, an artificial intelligence company spun out of Princeton University that is working on an app that can detect COVID-19 using a version of artificial intelligence coined Edge AI and physiological sensors data derived from a wearable device. Yeah, mind-boggling. And if perhaps a little more light-hearted, Pocalins Mike Lowe has been playing the latest Mario game on the Switch. So is it worth a revisit? But first, Rick, back to you. Tell us more about Philips TVs. Well, Philips, um, traditionally, at this time every year, um, soon after CES, uh, unveils its, or at least some of its TVs for the, 20, for the following year. But this year, of course, it was all virtual. Uh, but it didn't make the announcements any less interesting. Um, not only did Philips do its normal pulling out of OLED TVs out of the bag, which uh, were, are always interesting, it also moved into the mini LED state of TV development. Mm. Now, what that essentially means is that, as well as its OLED TVs, it now has two flagship mini LED TVs coming in 2021. Now, mini LED TVs, you might have listened in a previous podcast, I think we explained it, but once again, it's a backlighting technology that... um, Uh, is made up of thousands and thousands of tiny LED lights that, when grouped in zones, can be switched on or off or dimmed or made brighter. But it's very, very precise. So you have an LCD panel. These lights are directly behind it. And because you can can turn them off in, in minute zones, it means that you can have really, really deep black levels and very little amount of light bleed. Now, if you have an LED TV at home or an an old LCD TV at home, what you'll notice is that black levels tend to be quite greyed out because the light isn't as focused behind the LCD panel. Whereas with mini LED, um, it's essentially just turning completely off in those zones. So you get very good black level response. And black levels also make colour saturation work better and better for uh, colour accuracy. So essentially, mini LED is a great way of having almost OLED style pictures, but uh, more affordable. And so do you think that's going to make it possible for more people to afford a bigger TV? Absolutely. I mean, the, the two Philips TVs um, that uh, it's it's announced are 55 and 65 inches only. They're not doing any smaller uh, mini LED TVs. Obviously, you have to group these LEDs in, into zones and they can only go so small. Um, so it has to be of a, of a decent size. But what it does is it makes a 65 inch, for example, a lot cheaper, a quality 65 inch, a lot cheaper than it would normally. Now, um, 
essentially what it also adds is that it's certainly in in the case of the Philips is that you're getting essentially all of exactly the same picture processing and all the other um, bells and whistles of the OLEDs, but on a mini LED for less price. Unfortunately, we don't have the prices right now, but they have promised us that they will be more affordable than the OLEDs. Hmm. I suppose with the Philips TV, you'll have Ambilight. What have they done there this year? Right. This year, the big the big news is four-sided Ambulite. Now, they've had this before on their higher-end models, but now they're bleeding it down through the ranges. And four-sided Ambulite essentially means that strips of LEDs on the left, right, top and bottom, now the bottom is the most important one on the four-sided, um, can shine in the same colours as you see on the screens to reflect what you're actually watching. Now, four-sided um, is more really, I find, for wall mounting, mm. which is a positive thing because an awful lot of manufacturers recently, in my opinion, have been trying to move us away from wall mounting their TVs. They've all been talking about desk stands and making beautiful stands and putting um, sound bars in the stand and that sort of thing. But I'm a big fan of wall mounting, and it's nice to see a manufacturer actually do something that really benefits wall- those who wall mount more than others. And it's interesting, I always find with Philips, it's interesting that nobody's tried to copy them or do something similar. They are kind of, they've taken that, that Ambilight approach and, and they're sticking with it, which is great because it differentiates them. But I'm surprised that Samsung or LG haven't come up with their own version. They, they actually addressed this during the event. Um, someone asked, why hasn't anybody else done a, 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 an Ambilight style system on their te- television? And Philips were very, very quick and blunt. We own the patent. There we go. You see, so that's it. <laughs> it was quite. It's quite a thing. Uh, of course, um, uh, in fact, I have family members who have done this. You can buy um, strips of LED lights and stick them around the um, the edges of your television to give a backlight kind of effect. But the thing is, in that, you have to change the color of your lights. It's very difficult to actually have it um, work in sync with the pictures on your TV. And that's where Ambulite comes into its own. It's fantastic when you can see, like if the right hand of your picture is yellow, then the lights behind it are yellow. The left hand at the same time is red, then the lights behind that are red. It's superb Mm. for gaming. Absolutely brilliant. And so when do we expect these TVs to make an appearance in the shops that we can rush to and buy? We're still waiting for official confirmation, but the way that Philips generally does things is we see TVs coming around. If TVs that are announced in January tend to be around the spring to summer um, time frame, and then it announces further TVs sort of like at the end of summer around EFA time each year, sort of August time each year, which will then be after that point. So I would imagine March, April, but we, we do need confirmation yet. Still to come, Mike gives us his verdict on the Super Mario 3D world and Bowser's Fury. It kind of quite clearly takes the footprint of what Nintendo's put down before and has kind of evolved it into a slightly more maybe mature kind of version of it in a way. Um, whereas this Mario is much more, you know, Mario. It's, it's fun. It's, it's a little bit silly. You can turn into a cat Mario. We've all been impressed by the speed in which COVID-19 vaccinations have been created. But what if they could have been ready to use even faster? That's the hope of Dr. Adele Lowy, the founder and CEO of New Tigers, an artificial intelligence company spun out of Princeton University following the creation of a new app that uses Edge AI to better simulate data from a smaller set of data points. 
Born out of technology that is used to predict mental health issues and diabetes, prevent cyber attacks, and even perfect calibration of helicopter rotor blades, the solution uses a neural network machine learning model that mimics the human brain. According to New Tigers, with this type of machine learning, as little as 30 people could be needed in any specific cohort to construct an accurate predictive models for disease state compared to the tens of thousands of generated data points used today or hundreds of participants in physical clinical trials. It's really exciting stuff. Keen to understand more, I started by asking what he's trying to achieve with the new company. Obviously, I think it's a high-tech company because we are uh, deploying uh, basically very complex, ultra-efficient uh, AI algorithm to these very constrained uh, connected uh, devices, right? But at the end, it's really all about solving solutions, solving problems. And uh, the core business of the company is in healthcare. So I spent 23 years of my life doing drug discovery in a big uh, pharmaceutical companies. So the bottom line at the end is really solving health problems, you know, how we can predict, uh, I mean, sooner, like the onset, any uh, medical conditions. I think we have now the technology can do that. That's really the core, uh, I would say, aim and goal of the, of the company, but first solving health problem, in particular the one which uh, with a lot of uh, unmet medical need. And the second, I think, is very strategic for the future, especially for the young generation across the planet, is to democratize the access to this very strategic uh, technology for the future. So, and that's the reason, of course, putting everything like in a smartphone, you can reach out basically to 70% of the, of the people on the planet. Now, one of the things that you're working on at the moment is uh, an app called COVID Deep, which obviously is quite timely um, yeah. based on the current situation that we all find ourselves in. How does that, do you, is it just a case of analyzing data and using AI to analyze that data? And how's that work and what's the benefit of doing it on the phone compared to, you know, what we used to know, which was kind of using big mainframe computers? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's uh, AI. I think at the, uh, as you get to the core, it, you need to feed AI or this AI algorithm with data so it actually can learn the patterns and then later on can be used for prediction, right? Mm -hmm. so, so that's really the thing. So in that particular case, uh, what we do, it's really combining some of these very complex uh, sensors, which are available like in off the shelves in some of these smartwatch, for example. But like any wearables now, which has a lot of these uh, kind of physiological sensors, like, I mean, heart rate, the respiration rate, your skin temperatures, your oximeter, blood oxygen saturations. And, and the key things here uh, and the challenge, and this is where, of course, you need all these uh, AI learning capabilities, but not only, right? I think you need to have this medical expertise so you can actually identify some of these patterns which can signal like a, a digital signature of, of a particular medical conditions. Uh, and that's all actually the goal. So I can actually use this sensor information combined with all these AI learning algorithms to really fingerprint uh, a particular medical conditions. Um, so in particular of COVID-19, of course, I think this, this is a systemic kind of disease. That's basically, mm -hmm. it's impacting uh, all part of your, all the organ of your body. Obviously, it's going to translate uh, in changes in your heart rate, in your blood oxygen, in your skin temperature, and many other, in your, your blood pressure. And this is all the data we have been using 
through uh, a clinical studies first, and that's really the, the key things. You need to do the hard work. I think we did, uh, actually we started COVID deep, or like at the heart of this pandemic, uh, and we went to Lombardia okay. in Italy, where there's like a famous professor, Dr. Bruno there, mm-hmm. one of the most uh, famous infectious disease, who's basically really just asking for help. Is there any solutions who can help us to predict whether somebody can be virus positive or virus negative? Uh, and this is what we have done with them. We did this uh, clinical trial, so we have selected different cohort of, uh, of people, going from people being healthy to those which are symptomatic positives. That means that's the most dangerous guys. That's the guys who has the virus but doesn't show any symptoms, right? We have this cohort. Yeah. And, and then we have the, the symptom ones. We did, and basically from, we recorded all this sensor data from this different cohort, and we feed these AI machine learning models, and we ended up with COVID deep, who is now just with one minute recording of this key sensor information, can actually predict whether you are virus-free or uh, virus-actually uh, uh, positive. And how does that, I mean, over the years, we've seen things where it's turned to the cloud to support, yeah. you know, to try and solve disease sure. and things yeah. like that. You know, most famously, perhaps uh, Sony's folding at home project, which yeah. used your PlayStation when you weren't playing games. So how does this, how does your system kind of differ from that approach? Because as I say, we've seen it where we've used, you know, the, the idle processing of all these smartphones that we've got and computers and devices. So where does where does your sense of an approach to AI and and I know edge AI gets thrown around a lot. Where does that sort of fit in with this? I think one of the key uh, challenge and one of the key trends, obviously, I think everybody now is real, uh, realizing that. I mean, your health data it's it's an asset, right? I think that's really and and, and especially I think you want to actually be in control of it. It's not like you're bruising history in. Uh, in Google and Amazon, which a lot of people are using for any services, and you're okay with it, just giving up all this personal bruise information. Not uh, now, everybody, I think that they don't want to do that with their health data, right? They want to protect it, they yeah. want to be in control. And this is where actually the edge AI is coming, right? I think you don't need any connections if you all these AI services for health, uh, any particular health service you provide is on the edge in your smartphone, smartwatch, and you're under the control of this. This is actually really what the people are looking for, preserving privacy. I think it's giving security is increased, of course, I think when you move to the mobile side, right? But also like in terms of decision making, how we can actually have like this lower latency. You don't want to wait. I think if you have like a particular urgent conditions, you know, to be connected to the cloud with all this issue of loss, losing the connectivities, etc. So I think I would say now it's more about privacy, security, lower latency to increase like the user experience when you get all this AI experience to the edge. And do you see that, do you see like sort of Apple's approach here where it's very much about privacy and doing those kind of things on the phone? Yeah, everybody's coming there. Do you think that's where the industry will all head towards? I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that's all the look at to Fitbit. Uh, recently, they launched the Fitbit Sense. I think that's another yeah. kind of health watch, for example. Withings with ScanWatch. I think Samsung. Everybody knows that when it comes to health, you have no choice. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the citizen now are really just fed up of giving up their data. They don't want to do that anymore, especially with their health data. They want to be in control of this. 
And so while we see that COVID-19 and the current pandemic is will obviously dominate the headlines for the, probably the next 12 months, if not slightly longer, sure. where do you see this technology being able to be used elsewhere? Is it, is it really only refined to, to healthcare or, or can you use it elsewhere? I mean, I think first of all in healthcare, right? I think the, the COVID-19 is really shaking basically the healthcare industry. And that's the reason all the telehealth uh, solution now have increased like dramatically, right? I think for the good reasons, I think here because of this uh, COVID-19 infection, you want to have this distancial uh, kind of uh, uh, way of treating people instead of being like in, a, in person, right? I think the, the telehealth industry is just amazing. And that's one of the kind of delivery platform, which I think is going to stay like forever. I think it's going to increase. I think if I remember for the largest... Uh, one year, I think like the more than 30% increase of telehealth uh, mm. consultations and the people are ready for it now. I think they and they, and they understand the reason too, right? Because perhaps it's not going to be the, the, the last pandemic we're going to live. So the, the putting those solutions like in telehealth kind of platform, I think is certainly, I think, one of the uh, trends in the future, which we've seen actually from uh, customers. So it's not just COVID deep. As I said, now you have this... Uh, really fantastic innovation happening on the device side where basically you can read your body from within basically anything just coming from physiological signals you can capture from this sensor but also from outside i think whether it's your facial print or your body language basically anything related to vision we can read actually our body and that's really something which is very new and with the in completing basically uh, using the AI in in, in, in associations is going really to revolutionize now the way we're practicing the care. But I think the most importantly, coming back to what I was saying, Stuart, about democratizing, is going actually to increase the access to care more cost effectively. So that's really, I think, where the trend is going. And as you know, we cover AI a lot on on Pocketlin, and it kind of feels that sometimes that the word has been banded around quite a lot. Yeah. In you know, suddenly you've got a fridge that can determine how cold it is inside. Well, that's using AI, and yeah. then you kind of get to the other end where you're kind of the space you're playing in, which sounds that this is kind of incredibly complex. Does does that frustrate you sometimes that AI has become this kind of throwaway word? that you know everything has got ai in it even though it could actually just be you know a very very basic level of ai and, and top end and do you think that will confuse people in the long run i mean i think it's it, there's a place for everything right i think the the key things at least i think from the tigers we want really just to focus in meaningful problem we want to solve i think with the the core expertise of the company in healthcare there's so many unmet need, I think, which still need to be resolved. So I think that's, but yeah, I think AI can be used in many, I think, uh, aspects, uh, obviously IoT, or especially industrial IoT. And the, with the, uh, I mean, the 5G coming in, I think certainly, I think that it's going to supercharge a lot of these AI applications. So I think there's really a place for everything. Uh, I would say perhaps I think the, just coming back to AI in general, like the buzz of AI, uh, the, the key things is just really just the, having the responsibility and the ethics because you can use AI, unfortunately, for the good side, but also for mm -hmm. really dangerous side. You know, mass surveillance, for example, with facial recognition. That's really a lot of things happening across many 
countries and the, and the planet. Uh, so regulations is going to be really key. And uh, especially in healthcare, we're glad actually to be in healthcare because it's highly regulated. Even yeah. now, I think AI, I think is coming, is like a framework basically to deploy AI application in healthcare. So I wish, I think, that we're going to have that across the, the, the different industries and avoid all these bad uh, ut- utilizations of AI. And if we were to hold this podcast interview again in five years' time, where do you see that AI has, has taken us? Do you, do you feel that we've kind of seen a huge increase currently and then it will plateau out for a bit or do you think we're just at the start of of that mega journey i mean it's really it's a revolution uh stuart i think that we, we went through a lot of these revolutions across the, our, our planet like the industrialization the informations right i think with the internet etc this is really the intelligence area i think that's going to de- and unfortunately is going to go with a lot of disruptions uh, i mean we used to disrupt like workers uh, you know which are working on the field, like in the agriculture, right? And with the information, it's more actually the people working in all this massive kind of uh, uh, framework in the computing infrastructure. Now you can get that in your iPhone. But now I think this is really the intelligence era. We're going to have a lot of uh, AI experience, which were unprocessed solely like in the cloud, but now we're going to be running on the device which, of course, I think allows a, a lot of uh, benefit, lower latency, greater privacy protections, and, and, and increasing liability, right? So, and the application, for example, I think like, I mean, flying a drone, controlling a self-driving car, or sending instruction to a robotic surgeon, this is the way it's going to be like in a, in a few years from now. Five years, I think it's a good framework because the life cycle of AI product is so fast, and that's also a really a big thing. Uh, you know, we, television, right? It took us like more than ten years to adopt, mm. like at a mass scale. This AI technology will be like just in month. So I think that's really what is going to change, and you will have a lot of this uh, hopefully meaningful AI applications uh, or fingerprint. Oh, the Wii U. That poor console really was a trial for Nintendo, but just because it didn't sell well doesn't mean we should completely forget some of the goodies that grace the platform. Premier of which is Super Mario 3D World, which has now been ported to the Switch, complete with a brand new add-on, Bowser's Fury. But should have been left in the past, or is it a worthy update for the Switch console that we're all enjoying so much at the moment? Pocketlint's Mike Lowe has been playing it ahead of its official release in February to find out. So what's it about and is it any good? So yeah, this is basically um, yet another remake effectively because Nintendo has been bringing quite a lot of goodies to the Switch um, and Super Mario 3D World came out on the Wii U, if you uh, remember that. Console, mm. which is a bit of a trial for Nintendo. Um, but it doesn't mean just because that console sold badly that actually... You know, the games weren't good at points. And this came out originally, I think it was 2013. So it kind of shows you can have older games that are still kind of pretty much current classics. Um, really, you know, Mario is always roughly the same, isn't it? It's, it's got that kind of mad Japanese-ness about yeah. it. It's you're, you're, you play Mario the plumber, you're kind of running around in a 3D world where in this instance you've got to save these uh, princesses. Um, and you've kind of got a lot of nods in this to actually the much older um, Super Mario World 
as in the one that came out on the snares back in, God, I'd have to try and wrap yeah. it up. Yeah, a long time ago, let's put it that way. Yeah, kind of 90s, I guess. Maybe even 1990 itself. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of, it takes that kind of, it's like a homage to that in a way, brought bang up to date in a 3D format, bringing lots of the classic kind of bits and bobs of Mario. But um, And so, I mean, I think the key question then is, does it work? Is, does it, can you bring all these nostalgia moments yet another princess to save and still have fun with it or do you kind of did you come away feeling oh, i just wish it was kind of more super mario odyssey um so little side note the, the princesses in this one are sprixy princesses there are a number of them that you have to rescue all right um, because actually you can play as princess peach if you like you can also play as luigi and you can play as toad as well so there's actually quite a a range of things you can jump through um does it work yeah of course it, it kind of nintendo is really really good at making just very well kind of organized games with decent mechanics and it's kind of hard to criticize from that point of view and i think what's impressive is it's not brand brand new you know and it, it kind of feels like it more or less is the only criticism so far is that it's got quite a sort of floaty feel to the characters they kind of sort of bauble about a bit they kind of it's quite hard to see your your landing spot in the the angle of 3d that you often have um but i think that's really just a case of getting used to it plus i've been playing a lot of sackboy on playstation 5 and they differ quite a lot that's a very different game though isn't it well actually no that's the funny thing sackboy it kind of quite clearly takes the footprint of what nintendo's put down before and has kind of evolved it into a slightly more maybe a mature kind of version of it in a way. Um, whereas this Mario is much more, you know, Mario. It's it's fun. It's it's a little bit silly. You can turn into a cat Mario, which I think is the only game that's available to do. Um, and it just, you know, it, it's kind of nice to play a game where you can sort of smile rather than a game that's about zombies and death and kind of all, you know, the kind of typical big open world things. This is very different. It's very much a platform game um, that's been brought up to date, really. Now, Nintendo have been doing this quite a few times with the Switch. They take an old uh, an old license that they've got elsewhere that's previously on the Wii or the Wii U or even back to the SNES and what have you and then kind of give it a new look of paint and, and throw it out. Do you think this is the last we'll see of that or do you think there's many more in the, in the cupboards waiting to be re-released? Um, they've gone through quite a few. There's, there's a couple standing out that still haven't happened. Um, Super Mario Galaxy 2 hasn't yet appeared, which seemed a bit of an oddity um, to, to not have come back because that would be great. So I think there'll always be more. I mean, I think the thing with this one as well is they haven't like just um, updated it because a big critical part of this is it's Super Mario 3D World, which came out on the Wii U, but it's plus Bowser's Fury. So there's this kind of extra add-on uh, called Bowser's Fury that's just for this release, that's just for the Switch, um, and it kind of sort of extends the game in a way. It's, it's a totally separate game on the side of it and you can choose when you right. get um it looks a little bit different but it kind of again nods to a lot of the things that are in all the worlds in in uh super mario 3d world um and yeah you actually play alongside bowser jr in this one because bowser his dad has gone a bit crazy a bit furious. He's gone rogue well <laughs> he's turned into a massive very dark looking bowser um He's kind of got his head down in the mud and every now and then he just gets up and roars and streams loads of fire at you and you've got to leg it. Um, so it's it's a very different sort of feel to it. And it's really weird actually supporting 
you know the son of your normal foe um but it's a nice little take a nice little bit of extra um and it's good to see nintendo putting in you know real extra graft to kind of attract an audience but i think honestly because of the way you just didn't sell particularly well i think when this game came out ignoring Bowser's fury when it came out uh what seven eight years ago i think it still remains one of the least purchased mario games going um so I think a lot of people get a lot out of this, really, as something to visit that they may never have, myself included. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 